there's a prophetic picture that I've, as I've been praying about your church and uh, thinking about it, I really feel that I want to share and I want to speak into. And uh, I don't want you to take this negatively as there's something wrong, but it's more of where God's taking you. And that's, I really feel like Impact Rock has been a very good cruise ship, a, a luxury ship where people can come, they feel welcomed, they feel... Uh, 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 um, yeah, they feel welcome, they feel at home but I, I feel like God's turning this, this ship into a battleship that, uh, and it's, it's very different because um, you know, at a cruise ship you get on there and it's hello sir, how are you doing? You know, would you like a pina colada? You know, what, what can we do to serve you? how can we help you? and, and the reality is the battleship there is an element of actually we going here, we doing this we're advancing God's kingdom uh, come be part of that. If not, uh, well, you're just going to get in the way. Yeah. But there is a welcoming part of it. It's we need you. We want to be. Part, we want you to be part of what we're doing, and we're heading somewhere. And uh, m- many churches go through different stages like that. We went through one of these stages, and uh, uh, we we've been going for 36 years as a church. And uh, we planted a whole bunch of churches. And it was a crucial moment for us when we had to realize that actually we're no longer just a nice huddle of people, but actually we are a church with a vision and with a passion to reach the lost. And uh, that's what we want to make the, the focus. And um, I really just uh, feel like that's sort of the message I've got for you. The title of my message, because Mark forced me, is uh, What is Church? And I'm hopefully going to try and uh, uh, just share some things that I see in Scripture to be able to help us and, and realize the value of church and then what does church represent um, I had the privilege of spending time with some of the potential uh, uh, potential leaders and, and, some, and the elders of this church and I want you guys to know that your future is bright uh, God has a plan and a purpose for this church it's not a mistake it's not a, a byproduct of some weird accident that this is ordained by God and God has not called you just to be in, in, in a small gathering like this. That God is getting you mobilized because you're going to be taking some serious ground. And uh, uh, really, as I've chatted to Mark, even this time, a lot of our conversation has been around that. And um, I don't want to share good ideas. I want to look at Scripture and see how, uh, how, how, how we can be more effective. We, we deal with the same thing back home. Uh, I shared a stat with with the with the group of people I was with on Friday, and it says this: it's taken from uh, big cities in in uh, I think it was across America and some of the first world, and uh, uh, typical educated, employed people, middle class income uh, leaders in the church, and they said 89% of these people believe that the church existed for them and their family, and nine percent uh, and 11% believe that the church existed for the king and the spreading of his kingdom. Now, I don't know which percent you're in. I would love to, to get you to be the 11%, and I'd love that 11% to be 90% of this church. But that is a big shift in how church is done. Because the reality is, is as much as it's a church culture in America, it's the same in South Africa, that many churches are revolving around how can I make your experience better? Was the mu- music too loud? Was it a little bit too bright? What can, you know, what can we do? Serve better coffee. Amen. Always. We can always have better coffee wherever we are in the world. You know, seats are a little bit too uncomfortable. Want a cushion? 
you know, show them, what can we do to help you? And there's so many churches, we could probably list a number of churches that are, and I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be bagging on any churches, but I don't know, I, I don't like, I'm African. And uh, sometimes I can be a little bit too forward, but I don't want to get together where it's a nice little holy huddle. And we just get together and we feel good. And how are you? You're doing well. That's great. I want to, I, I want to, I was chatting to Mark and at our youth camps, we build water slides down embankments that land up in bushes and uh, health and safety codes would be violated. Yeah, uh, piles like this of lawsuits. But there's a wildness that, that I think you get when you grow up in Africa. And for me, I see that in scripture. And I'm like, how can we mobilize churches to get this wildness and this passion to see God do things with a church it's not let's see god do with do something with individuals and they lead churches no god wants to mobilize a priesthood he wants to mobilize a church and the problem is too often the church is getting offended with each other is getting uh, uh, you, you said this you did this because it's too concerned about itself and we realize the church is not supposed to be consumed by itself it's supposed to be consumed about jesus and its kingdom then we're not worrying about is your pina colada need to be refilled? Or is it about, actually, we've got a battle to fight, and right now in many churches, in many, in many cities, in many areas, we're losing that battle. And uh, that disturbs me. And um, I know I was here when this building was recently purchased or rented, and I've seen it go through many stages to what it is now, and it's amazing. But I know that the elder's heart is not just to fill this church. It's not just to fill this building, and, uh, and, and that's great. We've got a nice full building. No, it's, it's, God, what can we do as a church with the people you've given us to be more effective in falling more in love with Jesus and letting everyone else know about Jesus? So um, that's really my framework of, of where I'm, where I'm going to be speaking into. And uh, if that offends you, I'm really sorry. But uh, I get on an airplane tomorrow and go home. So um, you guys can work that out. But... Um, I say that with all love in my heart, I promise you. But um, we've got to understand that the, 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 devil, the devil's not stopping people from coming to church these days. I'm convinced more and more, he's not stopping believers, oh, he's not stopping unbelievers coming to church. He's stopping people in church keeping quiet about Jesus and his kingdom. And he does that through many different ways. Um, I think the busyness and the distractions of life uh, that we think are valid are reasons that we stop being effective as Christians. We're fight, we, we fighting this Christianity that the 21st century has been promoting of self-centeredness, and it's all about you. I, I get shocked when I go to, um, and I'm not going to mention authors, but when I go to, to bookshops and I look on the shelves and it's your 15 steps to a better life, or how to live a more enlightened life, or how can, how can God give you the best of everything? No, actually, I want to read books about how can I fall more in love with Jesus? And get more passionate about his kingdom. How can I understand scripture more? So when I read scripture, it's this mirror of, of Jesus speaking straight back at, at me. And how can I get impacted more and more by scripture and opening up scripture so I can become more like Christ? Uh, there's, a, there's a real sense of rebellion of, of, of men and women rising up in churches wanting to go against, what, against the system, the church. The church has offended me. Who is the church? The church isn't this, this organization out there. The church is believers, people. If, if, if someone's offended you, let's deal with it. 
Let's not live in rebellion. Let's not live. Uh, and if you're sitting there and getting offended, I want to just say this up front. I've got no axe to grind with anyone. I don't come here with the agenda. This is a preach God put in my heart when I knew I was coming here. So I, I, I'm not pointing out anyone. If I'm pointing out anyone, it's Marcus. He needs to change the most. And uh, then this church will probably be a better place. But, um, but we, can't, we can't expect to, to be effective in God's kingdom if we're, re- we're living with rebellious hearts. Uh, that's what the enemy wants us to believe, that we can sit here and we can criticize and make comments and, and have issues and still be effective as Christians. It's not going to happen. We can't treat church as something we come to. It has to be something we are. You are the church. You are Impact Rock. It's not something this building can fall apart and church still carries on because you are part of this church. Uh, we can't treat... The devil wants us to try and treat church as a show and just attend it and not get involved. Uh, I, I put it down and I explain it like this. I think it's a, it's, it's a thing that I've... I don't know if someone else has come up with this, but if not, I'm claiming it as mine. But there's a spectator Christianity that's coming to the church where uh, as, as every good male sits down on his couch, his sofa, sorry, I'm not going to speak like a South African, and uh, they watch a sport, whatever sports it is, and he will comment wherever they are from around... From every part of the world, you will comment and you will tell the referee how pathetic he is, how useless he is, and how you can do a better job than the referee, the coach, the everyone, the quarterback, the whoever it is, whatever sports it is, that you are better than them. True? You pay your satellite fees, you can do it. That's your right. It's, it's, it's in the Constitution. I'm sure somewhere there embedded is your right to make comments at, on your sofa. But... It's that exact spectator mentality that we get when we come to church. That we sit there and we can make comments about what's going on instead of actually getting involved in what God's doing in and through a group of believers. And actually it's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with Jesus and His kingdom. But yet we sit there and we make... And if you've got issues, deal with them. And maybe there are some helpful things that, that this church can do better. Every church can do things better. We're not perfect. They're not perfect. No one's perfect. But don't sit there and criticize. Don't sit there and scream and shout. Don't sit there and go nuts about how bad everything is. If it is, switch off the TV and go somewhere else. Or sit there and say, God, you called me here. I haven't heard you say I'm going somewhere else. You haven't opened another door. You've called me here. I'm ordained to be here. So I'm going to sort myself out. So I can see your kingdom come in my life and I can be part of building God's kingdom on this earth in this city. So that, that's the introduction. I hope it's not too much of a, of a big foot in the door. But for me, if I look at the book of Acts, I see this, this sort of pattern unfolding. Um, you see salvation. You see a, a group of people that are impacted by the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then there is commitment. And that is what I'm going to be speaking into. Because uh, uh, we often jump from the empowering of the Holy Spirit to mission. But there's a commitment to local church that the, 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 the believers have to go through before they get on mission. There's actually a commitment to what God's doing with them that we want to unpack and look at. And, uh, and then we can get on with the mission. It's, we need to figure out what it means to be integrated into a church. Not just visiting. How can I be integrated into a local church? And therefore, how can I function? Uh, I love what it says in, in Revelation 3 verse 14. It says, I know your works. 
Jesus, uh, 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 God through John to the church in Laodicea. He's making a comment about their works. He's making a comments on how they live out their Christianity, how they conduct themselves as Christians, how they how, how they live out this this uh, this thing called Christianity. He know and you know, we know and we comments about how they were neither hot nor cold and how they would spat, if they're hot if they're lukewarm they'll be spat out of God's mouth so there's there, 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 there is room to say that actually our works do have impact in, in modern day Christianity there's such a big push and I love it because I love the pure gospel but there's a push to say we are not saved by our works and I totally and utterly agree with that but because of salvation our works have to change because of encountering Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, something needs to change. Because if nothing changes, and I've got a question whether you've encountered God. Because if I'm living one way and I have this encounter with Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you what it happened to me and has happened with many people in this room, I had to change to become something else. Because what I was wasn't good enough. And because of Jesus accepting Him as our Savior, I'm good enough. And therefore, because of that, something has to change. I love what it says, and uh, it was prayed, and I don't even know if, if, if you ever prayed in the prayer meeting or if you read my notes, but the, in Luke 15, we see these stories about, these, about the prodigal son and coming back to God and the, the lost coin and that. But um, I love the story of the sheep. Is In Luke 15, when, when, uh, when, when uh, Luke's writing about what sort of the, the, the heart attitude towards this flock of sheep, and now uh, you know, we've heard Christians being referred to as sheep or some might be goats, but let's hope we're all sheep, um, that uh, we are part of a flock. And when one goes, the shepherd's concerned. That there's a concern that, that Jesus carries in his heart to make sure everyone is integrated. There's a concern, and I understand that that's majority speaking about, it is speaking about salvation, but I do feel that there's a, there's a way we can look at that to say, actually, there's a heart that God wants us to carry, that if one brother or sister or one person in this church goes off on a mission we are called to represent christ we go off and we bring them back into the church and say actually you know what are you doing you're safer together why go off and do your own thing actually you need to be integrated you can't if you stay there by yourself you know, you're going to get taken out we need uh, we need local church we need to be together it's not about a numbers game it's about actually it's about being together to survive what's out there if if you can't get together as a group of sheep looking after each other when the wolf comes you're going to be divided like this and you're just going to pick you off one by one but as you can stay together and get this 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 flock together and looking after that's where we're able to survive as christians and uh, i don't know about you and and, and Kara made a comment on it I, this world is getting worse and the attack of the enemy seems like it's relentless and uh we need to get over ourselves and actually start surviving and conquering as Christians, as communities that love Jesus and not just be dispersed as the enemy attacks or tries to divide, but actually we stay together and we grow stronger in what God's doing with us. Um, so I'm going to look... So we, this really comes out of, uh, this preach comes out of us, even as a, as a mature church, if you want to look at it like that, you know, a thousand people looking at it and saying, how can we be more effective as a church? Because we became an entertainment center. People would come on a Sunday and they'd get entertained by church and they'd go home. But we said, no, one of the values we see in scripture is community. 
is committed to a community, committed to being integrated into a body of Christ. So it was something that was a value that was slipping away from us. And I'm saying if you want to be a, a, a battleship, if God's calling you to, 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 to win this battle, to no longer just be a, 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 lux, a lux liner, uh, we, need to be in, we need to be committed to uh, being integrated into something. And uh, for me, the best place to go is not someone else's book about church growth, but uh, to look at, the, at what God did. And uh, I started looking at Acts 1 and Acts 2 as the church was birthed. And I just want to highlight some things out of there. And uh, hopefully we can, through the Holy Spirit moving, learn something and grow. So um, I want to pick it up from Acts 1 verse 7. And it says this. So obviously we see, we, in the end of John, we see the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And uh, within, in, in Acts 1, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit. But in verse uh, 7, it says this. And he said, he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the season that the Father is fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And when He had uh, said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up into a cloud, uh, sorry, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. Uh, while they were gazing into heaven, uh, as He said, Sorry, as he went, it's so bright, so you can hardly see what's going on here. As he went, behold, two men stood by them uh, in white robes. And he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So there's sort of an introduction right there as Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and promised that this, this kingdom's going to be restored. There's a, sort of an introduction of. of Sort of the heart attitude we need to carry. An introduction of sort of the... Uh, the, the uh, I've got six things of just what we need to look at. As um, we need to just keep in the back of our mind as how this kingdom is going to be established. Because even now, after walking with Jesus for all this time, there's still this, 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 this thought that there's going to be a physical kingdom restored. And uh, Jesus is you know, even going. We'll, uh, you'll look at it. But uh, there's this understanding that there's this physical kingdom that's going to be restored in Jerusalem, but it's not that. It's God's kingdom being established in our lives. So the first thing we see is in verse 7. It says this. It says, it's not for you to know the times and the season which the Father has set by His own authority. You see, too many of us like to calculate everything and make sure we know how everything's going to work. But there's a secret that's involved. There's a secret that's involved in how we have to live. And this secret of not knowing when Jesus is going to come back should produce faith. We should be a group of people that, are, that, that, that have a huge amount of faith that one day our God is going to come back. One day Jesus is going to come back and is going to wrap it all up. It's not, it's not just, just hoping that, that, there's no, that nothing's going to happen. It's hoping and having faith that we don't know when it's going to happen, but it could happen tomorrow. So because of that, I want to get on with building God's kingdom. Uh, so there's, this, there's a secret that we have to live with. And the secret should produce faith. Then we're going to realize that there's a method in the way that God wants to use. There's a method that is very clear in Scripture. It says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness uh, and you will be witnesses. Sorry, I just got that wrong in my notes, but I think I said it right. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit 
comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So the first thing we see in that is the method and way, the way God wants to use it, use us. Is I, I think this power of the Holy Spirit is probably one of the most misunderstood things uh, because you've got so many div- dividing views. I do agree that the power of the Holy Spirit is signs, wonders, and miracles. I totally agree with that. I, I want to see cancer healed. I want to see le- broken legs healed. I want to see all those things. I want to see the dead raised. But I feel like we just we just put that power onto these massive gifts that only some people uh, can can operate in, but we m- miss out on what the true power is. And I believe the true power is believers working out their Christianity. If you have to be honest with yourself, I uh, saw so in one of the classrooms, uh, one of the values of the classroom is make sure the spiritual gifts, I mean, make sure the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit are evident. Love, joy, peace. You know, every teacher wants that in their classroom. But how many of you are built that way? Who is naturally built to love? Who is naturally built to be patient? I, I'm definitely, that is not my gift. Who is naturally built to have self-control? For, for me... If I look at what it means to walk by the Spirit, and Paul teaches if you walk by the Spirit, these things will be evident, the fruits of the Spirit, that there's a power that God wants believers to receive through the Holy Spirit that is the method He wants to advance His kingdom in actually living out our Christianity and demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit. I think it is again, the greatest evangelism tool we have right now is if someone at work says to you, you know, you're such a patient person. And you say, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just created that way. I say to you, rubbish. No one is built patient. Yes, you might be calmer. You might not have a fiery red beard like I do. It might, it might just come from the calm part of town. But you're not naturally patient. You sit in any government line and you're not patient. It, it doesn't happen. I don't care who you are. But at that opportunity when someone says, jeepers, you, you, you're patient. Well, there's an opportunity to say, that's because of God in me. That's because of, 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 of God changing me. It's not me. I'm not doing that. I can't do that. I'm, it's God working in me. I say this whenever I preach about this, and uh, my wife totally agrees with it, is the greatest move of the Spirit happens every morning. When I wake up, and I love my wife like Christ loves her, when I'm patient with my kids, when I'm joyful towards my kids, when I'm demonstrating love like I see in the Bible towards my, my wife and my kids. That right there is a critical and someone being raised from the dead. And I say that with all honesty in my heart because I know how sinful and how selfish I am. But I know if I'm living by the Spirit and this power that is available, the method in which God wants to reach the world, I should change. I should There should be this power that is available through the Holy Spirit that should be evidence. And then we have to go on to, to look at within verse 2 is that if we understand the method, then we understand the priority. The method isn't just so we feel good and, oh, jeepers, we're so, such great people. And you know, look at how patient we are and how loving we are and this holy huddle. It says that you will be witnesses. That God is calling us that the exact priority of what God wants to do with us is to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That is, the, I, I, we understand the method is by the power of the Holy Spirit, and He'll do that through changing us, through demonstrating His kingdom, but we have to understand that the priority is not for our own entertainment. 
I think too often people treat the Holy Spirit like a, a gimmick or an entertainment in a meeting that or maybe someone can just laugh or fall down or, or you know, shake or do, bark like a dog or you know, drop kick a baby in a meeting or whatever it is. Whatever out there expression of the Holy Spirit you can do and that, that's going to entertain the Christians today and then we can go home. No, the Holy Spirit is there to empower us so we can achieve the priority of why Jesus laid down His life demonstrate and to witness to people around us about his kingdom and that then in uh, verse 9 it says we understand the style it says after after saying this as he watched him he was lifted up from a cloud uh, lifted up hid, hid him from them sorry he was lifted up and a cloud hid him from their sight as we have to understand that Jesus is gone and I say this I'm saying a lot, I'm saying that a lot, but I don't want you to be offended by what I'm saying because too often we want the good old days. We read the Bible and we say, it would be nice if I could follow Jesus like the disciples, or it would be nice if I could just make a sacrifice once a year for my sins that I see in the Old Testament. We've got to understand that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. God is in heaven, the Father is in heaven, and the Holy Spirit has been poured out that there is a style in the way Jesus and God wants to, wants to reach the world. And that is through us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not, he's not gonna, there's no plan B. It's not like, if these guys fail, I will raise up, I don't know, sea creatures or whatever it is. And they will do it. No, it is, it is us. It's, it's, it's after saying this, he returned. He knew that he could not do it. Jesus knew that he had reached the end of what he was called to do. So he had to go to the right hand of the Father and pray for us that the Holy Spirit has been sent so we can achieve this, so he, so he can be here to help us. Then we see that there's a delay that we have to live with. And it says in, uh, uh, in verse 10, it, des- it describes how Jesus is going up in that. But um, uh, this also describes how these two angels come down and look at this. And I, I have a very picture of mind. And I think it's such a this is often where we get caught as, as Christians, is Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit, he's, declared, he's taught about his kingdom, he's, he's envisioned them as much as they want, but he's gone up into heaven, and they're just staring like this. And it takes two angels to come down and be like, what are you guys staring at? They're like, oh, he went, you know? Yeah, but there's nothing there. But they're still just staring up and hoping that something happens. And I think as Christians, so many of us are caught staring into heaven, hoping something happens. But the angels are like, guys, go. Go do what you've been taught. Stop staring up into heaven. And the problem is, I, I, I see this in our church and I see this in churches around. We're either staring up into oblivion, not knowing what to do, or we're staring at our belly buttons and we're just not getting on with what God's called us to do. That we have to understand that there's a delay. And this delay... I, I truly believe Jesus could have gone up into heaven and come back down and, and, and it could have wrapped it all up. But there's this delay that we're living in that God's giving us an opportunity actually to step up to the plate and advance His kingdom with every bit of help that He's given us, every bit of teaching, every bit of empowering by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm giving it all. You have it all. You've got it all. Stop staring up into heaven and get along and do it. There's an expectation we need to live with that we see in verse 12 that, uh, that, that He wants to work in and through us. So in saying all of that, we see that, uh, that, 
that, that Peter preaches this amazing message and people get, uh, get saved. And um, I want to look at what the result of that is. So there's this, there's this sort of criteria of looking at, 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 at you know, what the lo- final charge that God gave them, that's understanding that there, there's, certain, there's a secret of what, how, that needs to produce faith in how God wants to work with us. The method is through us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The priorities for believers, the, the style in what we're going to be doing is us being, being it and doing it and being the church and demonstrating God's kingdom. That we're living in a delay of, of not knowing and needing to, to step up to the plate and doing it. And the expectation is that we will actually do it. The expectation is we'll go and be empowered by the Holy Spirit and do it. And the result is this, is once people, they get out and the, the Holy Spirit pours out, he's poured out, Peter is, um, is, is, uh, preaches this amazing message of Pentecost, and then something significant happens. And for me, this is, this is the crux of what we want to know of what it means to be a church. A church shouldn't be defined by um, a good outreach program or uh, you know, they plant churches or they... Uh, you know, they, they love uh, AIDS orphans, or they, you know, they love this, or they love that. No, for me, I believe a church should be defined. And I've got, I've got ten things. Um, hopefully, it won't be until uh, one o'clock. Um, I'll try not to. It was a joke, guys. You can laugh, eh? Sheepers. You guys are hard, eh? So we look in Acts uh, two, verse forty-two, and it says, "And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship." to breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many uh, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were uh, selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received the, their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So I, I don't know any pastor who reads that passage of Scripture and just says, oh, that was nice. As a pastor, you're like, God, please can 1% of what happened there happen in my church in a whole year. Please can one demonstration of God's kingdom. But I, it's not just up to the leaders. It's up to us as a body believing and understanding this. And uh, so so let's see what... It, what this is what it means to be a church in Acts 42, uh, 2, verse 42 to 47. Yeah, the end of it. So the first thing we see is they devoted themselves to certain things. So that, that we're devoting ourselves as a, as a group of believers. We need to devote our lives. And we can't just make sure that this is a church thing. It has to become an individual challenge. And we really need to live at these, and we need to be devoted to these things. The first thing we see in verse 42 is, uh, the apostles' teaching. Now, we've got to understand, and the apostles' teaching is just the word of God, but it is the the. It was the when they when they when they said apostles' teaching, they were referring to the the the, the first-hand account of Jesus being resurrected, uh, being um, being crucified. It was it wasn't just a a, a a nice idea. It was they were saying there's this demonstration devotion that we need to sit down with the guys that were there and say, tell me again what Jesus taught. 
Tell me again what he did on the cross. Tell me again when he, when he, when he wrote in sand. Tell me again the time when he, uh, when he fed the 5,000s. There was this hunger and this desire to know Jesus. There was this hunger and desire to, uh, to hear the stories, to process what Jesus had done with the disciples and, and, and with, the, with the apostles in that time. So this isn't just a good idea. This isn't just a, 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 a you know, if, if, we, if we're stuck, we just flip it open and read, oh, jeepers, it says that, let me do that. No, it's, it's, it, there should be a desire in every single one of us to know Jesus more through what he, is, what he has taught. And I want to push that a little bit further. Is You see, it was the apostles' teaching that they were devoting their lives to. So it was their interpretation of what was being received. So as Jesus was declaring the kingdom, the apostles were, were, were processing that, and they were saying, Jesus taught in the kingdom, this is what we need to do. And as the church said it was birthed, this is what we need to do. We need to work it out like this, this, and this. So I want to be as brave as to say, and, and like I said, I've got no, no problem offending people because I go home and I might never come back. So, but if you are in this church, if you are part of this body, you are submitting to this eldership's understanding and how they view Scripture. Because under God, like the apostles received the teaching from, from Jesus, and their interpretation was how that was understood, that doctrinally as you look at this church, and that's why you need to make a, a, a good decision, because when you say, I'm part of this body, you're agreeing to how they view Scripture. You're agreeing to their interpretation of Scripture. Because you can't sit here and say, I want to be part of this body, but then they start challenging on things that they see in Scripture, and you say, I disagree with that. Well, you should have crossed that bridge before you became part of this body. Because this body is advancing God's kingdom, and as they interpret what, what was taught by Jesus, what they see in the Bible, and the reason why I'm introducing this first, and the reason why it's there, will, will be made more clear, but I want it to be clear in our minds, that it's not, you can't come here and want to be part of this body, be part of advancing God's kingdom, but you can't agree doctrinally on what's going on. Go find out and find a church where you can agree doctrinally and get along with that. Then the next thing it says, fellowship. I love how it goes from God's word and the, the testimony of, of what Jesus taught to fellowship because um, as a result of their, their common faith in the apostles' teaching, as the result of their common belief in what was being taught through the encounter of Jesus, uh, through the encounter of what Jesus taught through the Bible, um, the Word of God, they were able to fellowship together. So fellowship wasn't put, and and even at NCMI we've got this saying, and you might have heard it, or you might have not. Friendship before function, and basically that that is a, a, a value that we have that we want to. We want to get to know you. We want to build a relationship with you uh, before you just get on and do a job. Because other churches will just employ you guys high and fire and we just want to get the job done on a Sunday. We say we're more concerned about having a relationship with you. We're more concerned about raising disciples than we are about filling buildings and making ministry happen. But that is, that is true and I believe that and I preach that. But when we read the bo- book of Acts, it's saying because of our, our unity around Scripture... And doctrine, we're able to fellowship. So if you can't agree doctrinally on what this church believes and their passion, I mean their, their vision and their mission and their interpretation of Scripture, you can't fellowship. It was because of that that they were able to fellowship. Because of that, 
they were able to fellowship together and God was able to bless them. And now in verse, in, in verse 42 again, it says, breaking of bread. So it was because of the interpretation of Scripture, they were able to fellowship, so therefore they were able to put Jesus at the center. You can't put Jesus at the center of a community and make Him the passion of the community if you can't agree with how He taught things. Because you're going to be at loggerheads the whole time. But because of their agreement in what was taught, they were able to enjoy community with each other, so therefore they were able to put Jesus at the center. How can you put Jesus at the center if you're constantly fighting about what He wrote? Or what He taught? And how it was worked out? You can't. It's impossible. It becomes a catchphrase if you, you know, we want to put Jesus at the center of everything we do. Yeah, but do you agree with what's been taught? Do you agree with what's been preached? Now, if you don't, deal with it. And if you still can't agree with it, I'm sure there's thousands of churches in Colorado that would love to have you. But it's a big thing because too often there are people in churches that are causing huge issues because they want to hijack something that God's doing. The reality is this church started without you. And I can say this a little honestly because it started with this lovely couple and their family and uh, maybe a few other people. But it's Jesus who's building His church. And He's using this couple with their way of thinking, with their preferences, with the way that they build team, with the way they do things. And you say, we might not do it this way, we might not do it that way. Well, unless He's violating the Word of God, get over it. As unless, this, the, unless this leadership team is violating the Word of God, actually get over it. And if they're violating the Word of God, have a conversation with them. Deal with it. Process it. Because then you can't be in fellowship. But if you've dealt with everything and still it's just a stylistic thing, then has God told you to leave you? Because if He hasn't, you're walking in disobedience. Not the church. You are. God wants to use the church. He wants us to be united around these things so He can advance the kingdom through us. I really hope I'm not being too harsh. And then verse four, it's, uh, verse 42, it says the fourth thing. It says prayer. So it's almost... Uh, I, I love how the Holy Spirit, you know, God through the Holy Spirit writes Scripture. But it's, it's a domino effect. If you can't agree doctrinally, you can't fellowship. If you can't fellowship, you can't make sure that Jesus is at the focus and through communion He's at the focus. So then therefore, you're unable to pray together. It's impossible to pray together. It's impossible to make prayer something you're devoted to. A prayer doesn't come first. It's mentioned fourth. You have to be submitted to God's Word in fellowship with God's people and have faith in the cross and what Jesus did then you can pray together. Often we get it wrong and we just assume that, uh, that you know, everyone's on the same page and we, I, I love the fact that you guys pray every Wednesday. I think every church needs to make prayer priority. But that has to come with, are we not, are we, are we, are these other three things secret in our heart? Because I'll you sitting there and Mark's trusting God for, uh, you know, signs, wonders and miracles and you're sitting there and you're saying, can this guy just stop it? In your heart, it's just rotten towards what the eldership and what the leaders are believing and trusting God for because you constantly, I don't agree, I don't... How can you be united in prayer about something if you can't even... if other things, other things aren't in order? And the reality is, in verse, in verse 42, at the end of it, we see this. We see, 
uh, sorry, the, the, the beginning of 43, it says, And all came upon every soul. The result of making sure those four things, we are devoted to those four things, there is a reverence and an awe that God wants to bring us into. We don't want to sweat the small stuff. These are big things, but they're things that we can overcome very quickly to get to a place where we are totally and utterly dumbfounded by how amazing God is. And I think if we can become a community that has got those four things that are very simple things sorted in our hearts and in the way we see things and the way we do things, we will be a community that is devoted and a community that is founded on the awe of God. And I don't know about you, I would, we, we, we get this, uh, uh, as elders, we get back home, we constantly hold this in front of us. Actually, wouldn't it be lovely if you come to church and there's not one announcement about what this church is doing? doing? Why? Because yes, we have to do things. And yes, we have ministries and we want to do those. But we're too concerned about, we want to maybe get too concerned about just being in the awe of God and being together and, and, and seeing Jesus do things that actually, who cares what we're doing? You can find those things out afterwards on your way out. We just want to get together and worship God and be totally knocked over by how great He is and how mighty He is and what He's doing with us. We want to hear testimonies from more people. We want to celebrate. We want to sing. We want to give. We want to do whatever we can. And, and by the way, at the end of the meeting, we've got a women's ministry coming up if you guys are keen to do it. I'm not, I'm not challenging the way, I'm not bashing the way you do things. I'm challenging the mindset of what are we as a church majoring on? Because often, I'm not saying of this church, and uh, if Mark gets offended, he must deal with this, but uh, often you get into a church and it's, welcome to this church, it's so great to be part of this church, and if you want to be a visitor, this church is important, and this church is this ministry, and this church does this, and if you want to give to this church because this church is important, and this church is doing this, God is just using this donkey to advance His kingdom. Who cares what the church is called? Who cares what the church is doing? It's about the advancing of His kingdom. I, I know there's practical ramifications, and I know we have to. We want people to be informed about what we're doing, but I think we should rather get back to getting consumed with the awesomeness of our great God. Then, verse forty-three, it goes on and it says. Uh, I, I just want you to know I'm not angry with anyone. I'm just, I'm just passionate. I, I'm really, I'm a happy person inside. Uh, I love Jesus, and um, yeah. And it says, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And I think uh, the apostles were setting the tone for that church. I think when we are, uh, you're totally in line with what God's doing with the and understanding the word and fellowship and all those things, that gets a, sorry. They get to a place where signs and wonders and miracles become natural to us. See, too often we want that. Too often, and I love how how they hadn't uh, like the Holy Spirit had been poured out, but no one had been healed. You know, the next thing is the lame in verse three of uh, of Acts was the lame beggar was healed, and then we see these signs, wonders, and miracles happen more and more, but. God is trying to highlight something to this, to this church that with all these things in place, signs, wonders, and miracles become natural, but it's not the thing we major on. And I, I don't know about you, and I can list 
many churches that major on signs, wonders, and miracles, and they experience and the outworking of the Holy Spirit, but they neglect fellowship, they neglect the Word, they neglect prayer, they neglect the awesomeness of God. And I'm saying, let's get all those things in, in line, and then actually signs, wonders, and miracles will become a byproduct. It will happen. Because you are moved with love, you are moved with compassion, you are so moved with how amazing our God is, you're sick. We just, we just know God's going to heal you. Let's pray and it happens. But if we're longing after that and we neglect everything else, I also want to be as abrasive and say, why should God do that? If we're neglecting the process that He works in and the, and the pattern that He sets. I, I want them as much as you want them, but I want a church that is passionate about Jesus more. I want a church that is passionate about His Word more. I want a church that is awestruck at how great our God is. I want a church that is that is uh, that fellowship and actually can can be disciples. I, the reason why these gifts come in, like Mark said, is to mature a, a church. You know, we're not called to be infants. We have to grow in our maturity. And I would rather have a group of a hundred people that are mature in Christ and know who they are and want to advance God's kingdom and coming together and having a nice holy huddled immature Christians and it's just you know this experience of Christ I'm speaking very tongue in cheek and I, I don't want you to take it as disrespect but I think sometimes we major on things that that are just byproducts that just happen I um, I have a friend who uh, had this vision at one of our meetings back home at the beginning of the year and he said he had this this vision of this of this bride coming down and she was dre- breast uh, breast sorry I don't know why I said that. Dressed. Sorry. That was a horrible slip of the tongue. She was dressed beautifully. And she was walking down the aisle. And as she was walking towards him, he took it, he took her veil off. And there was suddenly this, this little girl's face. And he was like, it was so disturbing that there was this, this bride looked mature and looked like the appropriate age to be, to be getting married. But as he took the veil off, there was like this little girl's face and he's like God what and he felt God say that if I have to come back to my bride now she's going to look like the right thing but she's going to be immature and for me that was like wow what am I doing to try and mature the church what am I doing to try and raise the maturity of, of, of our church and to be able to create disciples that's what we're called to do not just we often are so good at making converts that we just leave them and it's almost like this baby's birth and we leave it on the floor to look after itself. It's not going to happen. We need to, we need to be involved. We need to highlight these things. We need to carry these things in our hearts as a culture so we can mature believers. And uh, I don't know why I said that, but that's, that was for free today. Then uh, the seventh thing is unity. Is as As part of this persistent dedication and joyfulness found in their newfound uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit and this newfound church, they, there was unity. There was one thing that they were known for. Uh, you see it in... Uh, uh, verse 44. And it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That actually a church... I shared this on, on Friday. Um, Gandhi said that he loves the, he loves the idea 
and he loves the the um, the teachings of Christ and he loves Christ, but he hates he doesn't love the idea of the example that Christians set. And uh, someone else said that too often Christians are known for what they stand against more than who they stand for. I think we need to become a group of people that are united around these things and known for our unity, known for the way we love and the way we, we, we love the community, the way we represent Christ. is is the way we... Uh, it was almost like the, they had everything in common because they were so overwhelmed and so awestruck by salvation and this new church that was being birthed and what was happening and what God was doing that they were like, you know what? We will get over everything we need to to make sure we are united. So, And, and it goes, I don't want to jump ahead, but uh, that made a big impact in their community. It wasn't, oh, you know, this person doesn't like this person, so they've gone to this church and that church, and then church leaders are like, why did this guy do that? It's actually no unity. Because of what's doing, because of what God's doing, there is unity amongst the believers. And then in verse uh, 45 to 46, uh, it speaks about two things. It speaks about generosity and availability. I don't think we should look to organizations to, um, to, to be generous and available to help people. It says this. It says, And they were selling their possessions in common, and they were, uh, yeah, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had need. And day by day they attended the temple together and breaking bread in their homes by receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. I've heard many sermons preached on this. I, on, as I looked at it and I processed it, I honestly believe that, that selling their possessions was a once-off thing. The reason being is because they were getting saved out of a culture that if, when they were saved, they couldn't go back to their lives. God was bringing them out of lives where, and very much like the, like the Islamic faith, now, I mean the, the Muslims, they're getting saved. They can't go back and be like, yay, let me speak about Jesus. You know, they will get killed for that. So the church were really it was this place where they could find a home. Where actually you need something, I've got something, let me sell my things to help you. It wasn't a lifestyle, it was a moment. So when God's doing something, are you available to be moved to generosity? And I think you are. Because the kids needed to get to, uh, get to, to rise up. So we were, as a community, you were available and generous to get them there. We need to keep that heart is is they were available to take everyone to uh, to the corporate meetings and to home to make sure everyone was fed. And we need to be available and generous. What is mine, if it means having a meeting in my house or a small group or whatever it is, everything's available. My life is available and, ge- and I'll generously give whatever I've got for the advancement of God's kingdom. To be able to include anyone in what God's doing. Verse 47, it says, Pray... Uh, uh, praising God and having praising God became a, a big thing that they were devoted, devoted to was praising Him and lifting up His name and, but then it says in, in verse 47 it says and having favor, 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 favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved you see the result of all those things isn't that the church was it doesn't say the church was comfortable and uh, you know it was nice and they, they had good seats and Good coffee, as, as much as that breaks my heart, because I love good coffee. Uh, I wish it was in Scripture. But uh, there's things that we major on that aren't listed here. The, the, the result of all these things is favor 
and salvations. That as they lived at this community that God was birthing, people were looking at this and saying, Jesus, what is different to those people? Some of the commentators write in this verse that as they went to the temple, as they met in their homes, people would walk by and see how, how, how united they are, how they would praise God, how joyful they were. And they'd be like, whatever drugs you guys are on, we want some. And if Jesus loves you, just pre- preach the gospel. And they were having favor with the community. Sorry. And the community wanted to become part of them. And that's how the church grew, was how they lived out their lives with all these things in place. It's not a crusade that happened. It's not a, uh, a, a church meeting that they organized. It's not an event they organized. It actually was the church as believers not there just to be served like a lax liner, but understanding that we are on a mission. We need to represent Christ in a way that, is, that we see in Scripture, and through that, they were able to grow. Through that, they saw favor. And um, you know, the church grew and, and got scattered and all of that, you see in the book of Acts. And that, that scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, that we so, we, we love reading at weddings and that. I love how it says that if you have no love, you're like a noisy gong. Is Paul was referring back to, to this very thing. He was saying, if you do not go back to the church and how it was at the very beginning, you are actually offensive like every other religion. They say that it was like, uh, when in Corinth, when you used to walk down the, the street there, every religion would be you know, blowing their horn and dra- uh, banging their drum and trying to sacrifice this chicken and it was squawking and it just was offensive. There was incense and it, it wasn't nice to walk through the market because all these religions were doing their own thing. And he's saying, church, if you have no love, if you don't go back to the very thing and the very way we were formed, we're going to be offensive to this world. I think that's the message that we need to hear today as a church internationally. We don't go back and highlight the things that the early church highlighted. We're going to get caught up in being offensive and dividing the church because of politics or because of worldviews or because of how we view homosexuality or whatever it is. Name your thing. But how you view that is going to separate and divide the church more than unite it around Jesus and what He wants to do through us. And then we can address the social issues. And then we can start dealing with things and, 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 and not just becoming noisy gongs. So saying all of that, I want to pray for you guys as a church because it started with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It started with receiving this power to be able to do this. I don't think you can do it by yourself. I don't think this is something that you go home and be like, oh, that was a great preach. Um, a little bit offensive, but uh, you know, some good points and uh, uh, you know, let, let me just try and strive now to do better. No, with the empowering of the Holy Spirit and and then trying to work this out, we're able to do it. It's not something that you just click your fingers, wave a wand, and then bam, you're doing it. Uh, you know, we are, have been on a, a journey for years trying to come to terms with what is taught here can become a reality. And I want to pray that that happens today. Do you mind standing? shouldn't be a scary moment. Uh, often in moments like this, we want you know, the right note to be played or the right this, and that's the Holy Spirit note. No, it's just believers saying, God, we're desperate for more of you. God, we're desperate for more of you. You want this to become a reality. Maybe you want to close your eyes and lift your hands if you want or if you don't. But Lord God, I want to pray for this church. I want to pray for, for Impact Rock, Lord God. I want to thank you so much 
for the amazing church that they are. And I honestly believe that their future is so bright in you. And I pray that as individuals that form this church, that you will speak to them, you will uh, uh, give them a conviction about these things, that it won't just be something that is preached. And they say, because of the pastor, I've got to do it. No, because they have a revelation from you, they will believe and walk in these things. Well, God, I pray against any bit of disunity, any bit of factions or anything that's, that the enemy is trying to bring. I pray that you just will calm those things down. You'll even speak to people and uh, they'll start resolving issues. They'll start getting over themselves for the sake of the kingdom of God. Well, God, I pray for, uh, for them as they go through what I feel and... Uh, think it is from you and it does resonate with Mark as they go through a transition of becoming a, a battleship I pray Lord God that you'll raise them up Lord God that you'll speak to them that you'll give them strategy from you not just good ideas from men not just good understandings that individuals will start making the adjustments in their heart that they won't come to church to try and get entertained they won't come to church just to try and get their spiritual high or their next spiritual fix Lord that they'll understand that they're part of God's army getting on with what he's doing and that's advancing his kingdom and he wants to use us in and through us he wants to advance God's kingdom and I pray that individuals start making themselves available I pray and I, I, I know that there are men and women that are sitting here that you have huge giftings that you've used in the past and God's saying now it is time to use those again and advance the kingdom here I want to use those gifts here Cast your lot here. Yeah. Let, let, let it happen here. Yeah. You might be debating it. You might be thinking about it. God's saying, step out and I want to use you. Well, God, I even pray for people that have been part of this church for a while and gone through the many seasons. I pray, Lord God, that some of the dormant gifts inside of them will start being re- reawakened, Lord God. You just start speaking to people. You just start raising them up, Lord God. I want to pray for the youth, Lord God. And I want to thank you for what you're starting in their lives, Lord God. I pray that the growth from this church won't come from attracting old people or older people, Lord God, but it will come from young people passionate about your kingdom, Lord God. And almost the, the, the job of the old people will be, happy, will be to, to train them and guide them and lead them and uh, help them understand everything. And I pray that we'll see young men and women released into ministry from a young age, Lord God. Worship leaders, preachers, uh, uh, gifts, spiritual gifts like they've never seen before, Lord God. And thank you for what you're doing with them, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, you just turn up the fire a little bit more, Lord. Turn up the passion for you a little bit more. Turn up the desire for you a little bit more. And I pray that will result in favor and salvation. Favor in this community and salvation as they live out their Christianity, Lord God.